Welcome to this edition of Back to Basics with Pastor Brian Broderson. God did not save us to get us to keep a bunch of rules. God saved us to bring us into intimate, personal relationship with Him. And through the relationship, He works in us and He works out from us. And we do live in a way that pleases Him, but it's rooted in the relational aspect. Today on Back to Basics, Pastor Brian continues his study in the book of Colossians. Join us as Pastor Brian concludes his teaching on Colossians chapter 1, verses 12 through 23, in a message titled, Christ the Reconciler. Now here's Pastor Brian. The gospel is for those who are alienated and enemies and engaging in wicked works. That's who Jesus came to reconcile to God. That's who all of us were to some degree or another. And we stand amazed and we heartily join in to the chorus with Newton and others. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. So he has reconciled those who were alienated and enemies. How did he reconcile us? Well, we're told here through the blood of his cross and secondly, in the body of his flesh through death. So this is how the reconciliation was accomplished. It was through the blood of his cross and it was through his death. It was through the body of his flesh Jesus, he reconciled us to God by paying with his own blood the penalty for the sins that had alienated us from God. So this is the gospel. This is atonement. This is Christ being our substitute. He gave his life in exchange for us. Jesus said it himself. He said, the son of man came to give his life as a ransom. He paid the price. You see, there's a penalty to sin. You know, some people ask the question, many times people will ask this, you know, why did there have to be like this payment that was made? Why didn't God just forgive sin? Why couldn't he just say, okay, that was wrong. You shouldn't have done that, but let's just get a fresh start. But you know, if you think about it, there's always... When it comes to forgiveness, there's no way around some form of suffering. If anybody's ever going to forgive anyone of anything, there's going to be some suffering that's involved. So if, let's just say, you know, I sinned against you. I did something grievous against you. And, and then I came to you and I asked you to forgive me. Now you could... And let's just say it was even criminal. I'm putting myself in a very bad light here, but uh, I wouldn't do that. But let's just say for argument's sake, it was. It, it was even criminal. And you had two choices in one sense. You could say, no, I'm gonna go to the law and you know this is gonna be brought before a judge and the, the full 
punishment for what you did is going to be meted out on you. That's what I'm going to press for. Or you could say, well, okay, I'm, I'm just going to forgive that. Now, in either case, there's going to be suffering. I might suffer as a result because you press charges and that suffering brings you satisfaction. Okay, he got what he deserved. Or if you decided not to do that, guess what? You would have to suffer. You would have to suffer what? You would have to suffer the fact that I did those things and, and yet you forgave them, but there's pain in forgiving. That's a difficult thing. You're taking a loss. You're bearing the brunt of all of that. So you see, when we say about God, like, well, why doesn't God just forgive? There's no such thing as forgiveness without some form of suffering. And God being the just and righteous and holy God that he is, he requires that there be a penalty that is paid for the sins. But here's where the amazing love of God comes in. He steps in to pay the penalty himself. And that's what Jesus did. That's what reconciliation is about. He removed the hostility. The hostility was the judgment that was due to our sins. He removed the hostility by bearing it himself. And so he did this through his death. Paul said something similar to the Ephesians. He said to them, he said, you who were once afar off, that's the idea of alienated. You who were once afar off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. So this is how we've been brought near to God. We've been brought near by the blood of Christ. Now here's the big, big question. Why? Why did he do this? Why did he reconcile us? He tells us in verse 22 that he reconciled us to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight. Or you could translate these uh, holy without blemish and free from accusation in his sight. Same idea, same thing. So this is why he did it. He did it so, in other words, he did it so he could have a relationship with us. You see, while we were unholy, while we were stained with sin, the relationship could not happen because God cannot have that intimate kind of a relationship with those who are steeped in and stained by their sin. So why did he do what he did? He did it so those things could be dealt with, those things could be removed, the unholiness could be changed to holiness, the blame could be changed to blameless, and the reproach could be changed to unapproachable, and we could live in a close, intimate relationship with him now and forever. Everything is about relationship with God. Everything is about relationship with God. We need to understand God that way. God is about relationship. Think of God in his very nature. God is Father, Son, Holy Spirit. He's triune. That means he lives in eternal relationship. And think about creation itself. You know, think of the family, 
<laughs> you know, you are here, I am here because of relationship, right? Our parents had a relationship. They got together. We were the byproduct of that. And all across creation, you see that everything is ordered relationally. And you see that in obviously human relationships, but you know, if, even if you look into the, the, the realm of nature, the animal kingdom and so forth, you know, isn't it amazing how even there you see these relational kinds of things? You see these, you know, sometimes, I don't know if you come across these things online where maybe, you know, I, I remember seeing like a, like a wildebeest that was out on its own and some lions were ready to pounce on it and attack it. And they, they actually did. And then a whole herd of wildebeest came and drove the lions off and got their friend up and took him back into the herd. You know, and you think, wow, that, that's amazing. That's amazing relational stuff. Or sometimes maybe like elephants, you see them doing something communally. Uh, you know, even with animals, you, you see these relational kinds of things. But of course, so much more with, with human beings. But all of that is indicative of the fact that God is relational. And God's purpose in reconciliation was bringing us into this relationship that he longs to have with us. It's all about relationship. God is about relationships. He's about a relationship with you and with me. And he's about us having relationships with one another. And, you know, think about it. Relationships are what make life worth living, aren't they? You know, just the, the relationships that we have. Now, obviously, we have problems in relationships. We have divisions. We have all of those kinds of things. But ideally speaking, I mean, sometimes you think, wow, what, what's it going to be like when we have a world where there's no strife in relationships? When we have a world where everything is relationally just the way it should be, that is going to be so amazing. So last week, Cheryl and I took a day. We, we drove up the coast a little bit and there's a restaurant that we like up there, but we went to check out something that we had to look at. So we were checking it out. Then we were going to go to our restaurant. And in the course of our little journey, we got hungry and we got grumpy and we got irritable and we started bickering. And, um, and then we got to the restaurant and guess what? The restaurant was closed down. <laughs> so our blood sugar was plummeting and the restaurant was closed and we're already at each other's throats. And yet we know that this same restaurant has a, another location uh, further up the coast, uh, up in the Santa Barbara area. So we just said, okay, let's just go. You know, we were kind of mad and let's, let's just, we got to go there. But anyway, we went and we ate and then our attitudes changed and we were back in love and it was all, you know, so fun and enjoyable. But, but anyway, we, we ended up having this really amazing day. We, we, you know, we went down and we parked at the beach. We took a six mile walk. We just hung out. And then on the way home, we stopped and we got some, some, watermelon and some fruit, you know, all of this stuff. And we got home and at the end of the day, we just looked at each other and thought, wow, what, what an amazing day. How wonderful it is. You know, the relationship that we have. And, um, and, and she said, but you know, that, that one part wasn't that good. And I said, I know that, you know, you were kind of mean. And, uh, and, and then I smiled and winked, you know, I was joking, but 
all of that long illustration to say, what is so wonderful is the relationship. Now, this is the point that I'm driving home here. God saved us for relationship. He saved us for relationship. If we're not enjoying the relationship with God that he saved us for, we're missing out on the point. And why do I say this? Because, you know, it's easy. It happens over and over. It has happened historically. And it happened in the history of Israel. And it's happened in the history of the church. And it can happen in our lives as well. We can be the people of God who actually have a relationship with him, but we neglect it. We don't engage in it. We don't take full advantage of it. Instead, we settle for religious duty. Instead, we settle for ritual and for rules and those kinds of things. God did not save us to get us to keep a bunch of rules. God saved us to bring us into intimate, personal relationship with him. That's what he saved us for. And through the relationship, he works in us and he works out from us and we do the right things. We do live in a way that pleases him, but it's rooted in the relational aspect. It's not that if I do these things, then, I, then I'm okay with God. That's religion. No, it's I have a relationship with God. And because I have a relationship with God, this is how that relationship impacts my life. And this is how I live. And so let us never lose sight of the fact that reconciliation was for the purpose of relationship. And I say this a lot. You know I say this a lot. But I cannot underestimate the significance and the power of the relationship component with the Lord. That's the thing. And it can get replaced by religion pretty quickly. It can get replaced easily by, again, duties and rules and things like that. No, we want to keep the relationship at the forefront. And so how do you keep the relationship at the forefront? Well, you spend time in the relationship. You develop it. You cultivate it. You, you know, talk to God. You speak to him in prayer. You sing to him in song. You, you know, listen to him in his word. You see his work in the lives of his people. You see his work and you involve yourself in it. That's what it's like to be in a relationship. And that is primarily what it's all about. And then through our relationship with him, he wants to use us to reconcile others to himself. So we were created for relationships, as I'm saying, first with God and then with each other. But we know that many, many relationships are broken. Many relationships are fractured. Many are estranged from one another. Husbands and wives are estranged from one another. Children and parents, brothers and sisters, friends and neighbors, races and cultures. And right now it's like, it's like magnified. We have so much fracturing. We have so much estrangement. We have so much division. 
And it's like the, the culture itself is feeding off of division. And, uh, you know, obviously, if you're not reconciled to God, then it's not all that likely you're going to be reconciled to your fellow human beings. But if you are reconciled to God, then it would stand to reason that, that we would be reconciled amongst ourselves. But, but even in the church, there's so much strife and contention and division and all of these things. But we need to come back to that place where we recognize that God has called us, he's reconciled us to himself, and he wants us to be a reconciling force in the world. So the world's never gonna get reconciled. But the church is reconciled to God, and we can be a reconciling agent in the world. And that's what we should be. We should be pointing people to reconciliation with God through Christ, and then helping people reconcile with each other. But we, we need to be reconciled with, within ourselves. And so this, this is a moment in time, again, where uh, the church itself, you know, we're, we're talking a lot about racial reconciliation. How is that going to happen? Well, I think really the only way it can really genuinely happen is if Christ is involved, if Christians are involved, if Christians are the ones who are stepping up and looking, how can we be agents of reconciliation? But let me just say this. When Christ-centered reconciliation takes place, there's nothing more beautiful. There's nothing more wonderful. And I can think in my mind, just right off the top of my head, I could think of marriages that were just as far gone as you could imagine, seem like irreversible, no way there could ever be restoration or reconciliation. I can think of people that God has reconciled and made their experience beautiful. It's amazing. That's what he does. Or family fractured families, how God puts things back together or broken friendships, whatever the case. And right on down through, you know, like I said, racial reconciliation, cultural distinctions, all of that stuff. This is what the power of the gospel is able to do. Now, we who have been reconciled to God actually have been given the ministry of reconciliation. Let me read you the great reconciliation text in the New Testament, although reconciliation is mentioned many times, the great text for it is 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 17 through 21. Let me read it. If anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ, and listen, and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Now then, here it is. We are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were pleading through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us or a sin offering for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Isn't that amazing? Ambassadors for Christ, ministers of reconciliation. We've been given. So we've been reconciled. We were formerly enemies. 
alienated. And we always have to remember that since that was my condition previously, and I am now reconciled to God, that means that those others who are still outside, who are still alienated, who are still in a place of, of actually being the enemies of God, I need to remember that that's where I once was, but now I'm here. And so I have to remember that God can reconcile them as well. And that he probably wants to use me in that process. Isn't it true that as the world gets darker, we tend to think that the, the cause of the gospel is, is more hopeless? Oh, people are so sinful. People are so rebellious. People are so angry. They're not going to hear. They're not going to listen. They don't want to know. We don't know that. As a matter of fact, it's, it's oftentimes in these very environments that we find ourselves in, it's in these environments that the gospel, the reconciling work of Christ has its greatest impact. So let's never forget what God has done for us, how he took us, how he reconciled us, and let's see how God would use us as ministers of reconciliation. Let's see how God would use us to bring others to a relationship with him through our witness for Christ. Let's see how God would use us to bring reconciliation amongst other believers. We, we've got a lot of division and strife and contention in the church today. How might God use us there? And how might God use the church? As I've quoted my friend James Meeks before, uh, I want to say it again, talking about racial reconciliation, he said racial reconciliation will not happen unless it happens through the church, the church of Jesus. And the way it's going to happen through the church is if the church gets out of the realm of politics and starts thinking more about the gospel itself and Jesus himself. You know, every time I talk about racial reconciliation, I get somebody in social media who is sending me a link to some conservative social pundit. They want me to listen to them because this conservative person is going to tell me why my thinking is wrong that, you know, we can have reconciliation on this. You know, I don't really care what the conservative social pundits say. I'm looking to what Jesus says. I'm looking to what the Bible says, the gospel says. And listen, I've said this before. I'm going to say it again. Conservatism is not the same as the gospel. It's not the same thing. And your most conservative commentators are not speaking for Jesus. They're speaking for their conservative philosophy. And so we have to get back to the scriptures and to God's heart. And he's the God of reconciliation and he's reconciled us. And he wants to use us, his people, the church, to bring reconciliation in the places where we see humanity fractured. And we don't have to look far to see that, do we? It's all around us. But the gospel is the answer. And now, let's join Pastor Brian in the studio as he shares about this month's resource on Back to Basics. Today, there are so many things swirling around in the culture regarding sexuality, regarding the body, regarding ideas like, well, 
my body says I'm one thing, but my mind tells me I'm something else. How do we make sense of this stuff? Are there biblical answers? And yes, there are. My good friend Sam Albury has written a book called What God Has to Say About Our Bodies. And in it, he's going to address the issues of same-sex relations. He's going to address transgenderism and several other things that pertain to our bodies. And he's going to address these current issues. He's going to do it in a very biblically sound way and a very loving and gracious way at the same time. So I want to highly recommend What God Has to Say About Our Bodies by Sam Albury. Check it out. Again, this month's resource is a book titled, What God Has to Say About Our Bodies, How the Gospel is Good News for Our Physical Selves by Sam Albury. You can order the book, What God Has to Say About Our Bodies, by going to our website, backtobasicsradio.com. Scroll down until you see the photo of it, and then click on the Donate button. When you give a gift to Back to Basics, we'll send you the book, What God Has to Say About Our Bodies by Sam Albury. It's our way of saying thank you for your generous support of this ministry. We'd also like to remind you that all of our other resources are waiting for you at backtobasicsradio.com or by calling our request line at 1-800-733-6443. That's 1-800-733-6443. Our desire is to encourage you in your daily walk with God. We'll continue tomorrow with more valuable insights from Pastor Brian as we study together in the book of Colossians. Back to Basics is the preaching and teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California.